what we're doing for the rest of the semester is we are sort of exploring together this unique um, fact of Christianity, which is that in the Christian understanding of God in the world, um, God doesn't just love people. He isn't just involved in the world. Um, but he created everything and entered into our world as a human being. He became one of us. Um, and the question that we're exploring is why would God do that? You got to think like whatever's going on in heaven has got to be a, like, a lot better than what's going on, you know, <laughs> in our situation. Um, what with wars and poverty and everything. And um, why would God do that? And so we're going to um, explore one of, one of the central stories to why God became a human tonight. And it's going to be in Genesis chapter 6. It's going to be on the screen. Um, <clears throat> so if you're an athlete you are, and you've competed at a serious level, then you're probably familiar with something called the yips. Okay? Uh, it especially affects golfers. So, Macy, you might want to just cover your ears for this part. I don't know wherever Macy is. Yeah, there you are. Yeah, but Macy would never get the yips, so we're, we're chilling, right? Uh, don't say that. Okay, don't say the word. I'm going to say it probably like eight more times. So, just FYI. Okay, all right. Um, Macy plays golf, so, uh, and it's awesome. Um, so, the yips are something that happens to athletes. It seems to strike out of nowhere where something that you have done a bajillion times, suddenly you just can't do it. Um, like someone that's played basketball their whole life, suddenly they step to the free throw line and they just like shoot the ball directly into the, the court. And um, I was reading this great book uh, called The Anthropocene Reviewed, which if you, I could tell you about that book later, it's a really great book. Um, and um, he talks about two people. One, a, a, a Serbian tennis player. Her name was Anna Ivanovic. And she won the French Open in 2008 in dominant fashion. And she was the world number one in 2008. And there was a lot of buzz about whether she was coming onto the scene to really um, challenge Serena Williams as being like the most dominant um, tennis player on the planet. Of course, that didn't happen because no one's ever going to be as dominant as Serena. Um, but anyway, so she won the French Open that year. Shortly thereafter, um, this thing began happening to her where you got to think the one part of tennis, I would assume, that you don't have to be really, really good at is throwing the ball up to serve it. You know, like it seems like there's a lot. You, everyone can kind of just do this. But this thing happened to her where she was no longer able to throw the ball up to serve it. She would throw the ball up and it would go behind her. It would go really far out. And she worked and worked and worked and worked and worked. And she could not just simply throw the ball. All the rest of her game was fine, but she couldn't throw the ball up and she couldn't figure out why. Um, there was a U.S. baseball player named Rick Ankeel. He played for the St. Louis Cardinals. And in Major League Baseball pitching, all the pitchers are hitting like a place of like a few square inches. But this guy, Rick Ankeel, he was, what they called him a machine. He could hit the same spot with a 100-mile-an-hour fastball again and again and again like he was programmed like a machine. And in the 2000 National League Championship Series against the Atlanta Braves, he was pitching against Greg Maddox. Not that I remember this happening. Um, and he came out, he pitched the first and second inning, and he looked great, he looked sharp. Um, he looked like a machine, hitting his spots. And then the third inning he came out and he threw five wild pitches. He walked four batters, gave up four runs before being taken out of the game. And from that point on, he was not able to throw strikes in the strike zone again. Nothing happened with his mechanics. 
nothing like that. He just could not hit it anymore. And the yips strike, and we can't quite understand why. There's this thing that you know that you can do, but you can't seem to be able to do it. And humans, according to the Bible, have what you might call like a cosmic case of the yips. This is what we looked at last week. Um, that there is something that has happened to us where we were created to be good. We were created to be um, beings who ruled the earth under God's um, supervision, that lived in love with God in this beautiful intimacy with other people and um, brought good and beautiful things out of the world. But something happened to us where we know that we ought to be good and we can see what we ought to do, but we just can't seem to be able to do it. At the last second, um, Anna Ivanovich, when she would throw the ball up, her hand would jerk just at the very last second, and the ball would go awry. And for us as human beings, something jerks in us when we try to do good, and we can't quite understand why. And what we're going to see in the story tonight is that God became a human being to rescue us from that condition, to rescue us from this proclivity to do what we know that we ought not to do. And this comes in Genesis 6. Uh, I'm going to read a section from Genesis chapter 6 and Genesis chapter 9. This is a very famous story um, of Noah and the flood. So um, God has created people. They've been kicked out of Eden because they rebelled against God, and they're now trying to make their way on the earth. And then the writer of Genesis says this, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The, this is a very intense language. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. This thing that he loved more than anything else that was the crown jewel of his creation, has suddenly gone bad and ruined everything. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. He was great. And he walked faithfully with God, and he had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. So it's good to know that even way back in the day, things are pretty much the way they are now. The the earth is full of violence. And God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the ark. So make yourself an ark, a big boat of cypress wood. It's actually the word is like just for a box. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. And this is how you're to build it. He tells them all the dimensions. And make a roof for it, put a door in the side, make decks, all these things. And I'm going to bring flood waters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your son's wives 
with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that's to be eaten and store it away as food for you and them. And Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Okay. So then, to summarize the next two chapters, a massive flood comes on the earth, um, covers up everything, goes way over the tops of the mountains, and the dry land is gone. And basically what happens is, in the beginning, God had, there had been this, all this water, and God had pulled dry land out of the water and made this place for humans and animals to live. And now he returns it. He decreates it. He starts over. He does away with the, dry, with the dry land and all the living things on it. And the waters of chaos return. Now, I didn't grow up in uh, like Christian world. So I've always thought it was really weird. Like if you go into a kid, uh, like a baby's nursery, and there's like Noah's Ark stuff in there, you know, it might be like the border of the room. And I'm like, honey, like sell all the cute animals. They all are dead. Um, <laughs> and... This is the time where God killed all the living things on the earth. Um, go to sleep now. Um, anyway, uh, just, like, just a weird quirk of like Christian world that we use, that, use that for kids. They went two by two and all the rest perished. Um, anyway, then in verse 9, the floodwaters uh, um, withdraw and the dry land appears again. And God says, as, he says to Noah and his family, as for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. He's starting humanity over again. And then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I will now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign, okay? Like, I'm not gonna do this again, and this is how you can count on it. I'm gonna give you a sign. This is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you, and all living creatures of every kind, never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all the living creatures of every kind on the earth. That's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Um, Lord, uh, we thank you for this space. Um, we thank you for each sister and brother gathered in this space, and we pray, Lord, that you would um, by this story, which seems um, in many ways just very fantastical and ancient and odd and intense. Um, Lord, would you, would you show us something of yourself through it? Um, maybe not the thing that we see at first. Um, would you create in us a curiosity uh, for you and what you are doing? Um, Lord, I honor you for all those here tonight, for their lives are very precious, and they're very precious in your sight, and you love each of us deeply, and you know each of us deeply, 
And so, Lord, would you speak to us now in ways that we can hear from you, and we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name, amen. So God became a human being to rescue human beings. God entered this world because there was something that by coming into this world, he was on a rescue mission to save human beings. And the reason is, the question is why? Why do we need to be rescued? And this passage is like, part of what's great about this section of Genesis is it's like, it's just not ambiguous. Um, Some parts of scripture are like, I wonder what it means. And it's like, the Lord saw that every inclination of the heart, of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Um, God's looking at his creation, this beautiful thing that he had made. And he made the earth in all of its beauty and fullness. And then the best thing that he made, his favoriteest thing that he made was us, was human beings to rule over it and be like little G gods over the earth. And when he sees that, that human beings have turned from him and um, have become distorted and broken, it really breaks his heart um, to the point that it says that he's like sorrowful that he even made humans in the first place. It's like, you know, imagine you make this like beautiful meal and you've like labored over, or even better yet, you're at home and your mom makes you this amazing food. It's like your favorite meal. And you're like, this is awesome. And I'm going to take it back to wake and I'm going to eat it. And I'm going to have the taste of home in my room where I'm lonely with my roommate. And, uh, and you get it out, you know, the next day you're going to put it in the microwave. And then when you take the top off, you're like, it has the mold, you know? And it's heartbreaking because you're like, how can I... There's no way to separate the mold from the food. Like, it all just has to be thrown out. And for God, he's, his heart is broken. I mean, the language there is really evocative. You got to think, God made everything. What does he care about what's going on on the earth? His heart was deeply troubled, it says. And he knows that like those moldy leftovers, there's only one thing to do, which is to toss it out and to start over. And after all, God is the one that made everything, so he's the one that gets to decide. And he decides to do a clean sweep. Now, I had a laptop. It was a 2013 variety, and it was running great until last week um, when I opened it up and I just got a gray screen and a question mark that was blinking over and over and over again. And I tried everything. I I did the disk utility. I tried the hard reset. I tried the clean sweep. I don't know what all the things are called, but I tried them with the help of Google on my phone, and none of it worked. Um, Eventually, I had to just get rid of it and get a new computer, and it broke my heart because all my coolest stickers were on this computer, and now they will never be gotten again. God knows that something has infected humanity that the only thing that he can do is reset and cleanse the world because of the violence that's on the earth. But the problem is in verse 8. When it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, this is a clear design flaw for God, because if he's going to make a clean sweep of humanity, he made a huge mistake because he put eight people on the ark. And these people are infected with the yips, with the sickness, with the curse that everyone else had. And like, honestly, this might be like, I don't know if this is out of pocket, like 
for a religious professional. But like, I imagine like as the floodwaters come, come down that God is like Ryan Gosling in the notebook, you know? And he's like, it, it, was, it wasn't over. It still isn't over, you know? Um, like, I love you. I want to be with you. Um, and I'm going to cleanse everything, but like, we'll put you on there because I just can't. God can't bear this notion that people would be gone. And so he puts humans onto the ark and everything is decreated and recreated, but the problem remains in the ark. That as these eight people, Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives, leave the ark, immediately things go bad again, if you read Genesis. Something happens, this is like, this might feel familiar and evocative to your experience. Um, Noah plants a vineyard and then gets hammered and then is naked in the tent. And then his one son comes in and just says he saw him, but something shifty happened um, because he was passed out drunk in the tent. And things just go badly from there. Okay. Um, That's what immediately happens after the flood. God wants to rescue us because he needs to cleanse the earth from its violence. Which, by the way, we want God to do. I mean, at the end of the day, when we look at things that are happening in the world and we look at things that are happening in our lives and we think about our relationships with people that are broken, the way that people have hurt us, um, the way that we have hurt others, there is a deep longing within each of us, whether we know God or not, that that be somehow taken away and cleansed out of our experience. And God wants that too. But how can he save the people and keep them because he loves them and it isn't over, um, and yet cleanse out the violence that is in each of us? And he did that by becoming a human being in the person of Jesus. Um, Jesus um, entered this world. Part of what, one of my favorite things about the story of God becoming a human is that he didn't just appear. It wasn't like God's like, I'm going to be a human. And he just like teleported into like human form and was like, all right, let's get after it. I'm 40. Um, He entered the world through the womb of a very young woman. Um, And he was held inside her body. And if you think about what's happening when a woman is carrying a little one in her womb, which is the truly most wizardly magical thing that human beings do, and the most powerful and awesome is the creation of a human life within another human being. He was held like in the ark of his mother um, and born through the world, which is beautiful. But when Jesus grew up, he himself became an ark for humanity. And this is, this is what I mean. God became a human being to receive the cleansing flood of justice for our violence and for all that we've done. And as he did that by, by becoming a human and suffering death for us, he bears his people inside of him like this ark. Actually, Peter writes in another letter in the New Testament 
that when we receive the waters of baptism, it's like we're coming through the waters of the flood and we're held inside Jesus. That Jesus is an ark where he bears us inside of him through the violence and delivers us to a new creation. He carries us through the waters and sets us on a rock. And the way that that happened, you may have heard this a million times, but try to allow it to be weird for you. That God sent the cleansing waters of his, just, of his justice to overwhelm God. That instead of flooding the earth, God allowed himself to be consumed by the cleansing waters of his justice so that we could be held. And when my, I've told the story before, but when my daughter Georgia was about less than two, we went to the beach and my wife Sarah Jane said, don't go in too deep. And I was like, I've been in an ocean before. Um, I got this. And um, I was holding her. She could not swim. I'm not even sure she could walk. Maybe? I can't remember. Not, she couldn't swim. Yeah, yeah. She was little. She was a little one. And I went out and I was about this deep and a rip current came and pulled my feet out from under me. There was nobody else on the beach. It was just us and Surgeon. And um, I fell under the water and it was immediately being churned under the water by this undertow. And all I could do was stick my hands out of the water like, you know, Mufasa holding Simba. Um, And she was barely out of the water as I was torn under this overwhelming flood underneath the water. And thankfully, it was long enough where Sarah Jane could come and grab her. Um, Then I was able to get out of the water. Um, In that moment, she was born through water because someone was holding her. And that is what Jesus does for us. And we know that this is the case because God promises it right here. It seems like a weird detail. He's like, by the way, the way I'm going to remember not to flood again, like God's like, maybe I'll flood the earth today. Oh, wait, there's a rainbow. I forgot. I'm, it's like a, he tied a ribbon on his finger, you know, like, oh, that's right. I'm supposed to not do that again. Um, but he puts that sign there and it says it's a rainbow, but that word is for a hunter's bow. A bow that you kill an animal or a person with. And if you look at a rainbow and imagine it pulled taut as a bow, it's not pointing down at earth. It's pointing up into the heart of heaven. Because it is in God's nature to sacrifice himself for the ones that he loves. Like when God says there's greater love has no one than this than someone lay down their life for their friends. He's not telling us a way to be. He's telling us how he is. When Jesus does something, it's not him acting like God. It's him being God. That is the crazy, scandalous, weird part of Christianity is that when Jesus says a word to somebody or does an action, he's not playing a bit. He's not being an example to us of the, of the ideal human. He's just being God in his nature. And it's the only way for God to get you and to do away with the violence that is within you. Jesus was decreated for us. And he is an ark who bears us through and takes us to a new creation. We're going to look at this in a couple of weeks when we see God became a human being to take us to a new place.
It's called the new heavens and the new earth. But for now, Jesus says, if you want to see this kingdom, if you want to be born through, you have to be born again. That there's a sense in which he's starting a new humanity and he invites us to come to life in that new world where we are born through the, uh, the cleansing waters of God's flood in him. And that means that the new creation is now. Like the rain is beginning to fall now. And he invites us in to him. And so what does that mean for you? Who cares, right? Um, if you're going to do life, like if this is true, that this is actually how God is and what God has done, which it bears questioning it and asking the question. If this is true, that means the only option that any of us have for life with God and life with others is to be rescued. There is no, maybe you'll get it right option. There is no like, everybody else has failed at doing it, but maybe you will be the one. Like, we are desperate to do things perfectly and do things in an ideal manner and become the ideal people that we want to be. But with God, it's only mercy. And it's wide open. Have you seen these BetterHelp commercials that are out right now? That it's like the guy with like a ridiculous amount of weight on the bench press and it's on his chest and it's like, 600 pounds or something stupid looking. And another guy's like, oh, whoa, whoa. And he runs over. He's like, hey, man, let me, let me help you. Let me help you. He's like, no, nah, man, I got it. And he's like, bro, that seems like it's a lot of weight on you. He's like, man, if my dad, my brothers knew, like, I just need a minute, man. Like, I got it. There's another one where it's like a cowboy and he's like limping. And the other one's like, man, diamondbacks sure are poisonous. And he's like, yeah, but it's like my daddy said, you know, you just got to wrangle these cows and I'll be all right, you know. Like, in a sense, that's us. And Jesus has come to help us and to rescue us. Um, you may think that if you move from relationship to relationship, that eventually you'll find the one where it just works. If you move from career to career, you'll just find the one where it just works. Um, it's never going to just work. Uh, redemption is the only option that we have, but it's the most beautiful one because it's not up to you. And God loves to do it. Uh, Anna Ivanovich, you know, she, she learned, she never was able to throw the ball straight up again my understanding. She learned a completely new way to serve so she continued to play. Rick Ankeel never could hit the strike zone again like he did before. He learned how to become an outfielder and had a very successful career as a hitter, which is like impossible to imagine. He was the first person since Babe Ruth to start 10 games in the major leagues and hit 50 home runs in the major leagues because he had to learn a completely new way of being. And that is what Jesus is inviting you to. To be rescued and to learn a completely new way of being. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, um, thank you so much. Um, We take a moment, Lord, to sit. And instead of moving past this invitation to just sit with you with it and to hold it and to ask you to speak to us. Show us what we need to see about you. Where do we need to move? Lord, is there someone that you want us to talk to? Is there a question you want us to ask? Is there something that you want us to give up? Is there something that you want us to pick up? Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you invite us into your love. It's your joy because you love us. And you don't want us to perish. Help us not to stand outside while you invite us in. Lord, fill us even as we sing this last song. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand up and sing.